Welcome to Epiphany Fellowships Podcast. My name is Dr. Eric Mason, lead pastor and founder of Epiphany Fellowship in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. Our desire is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in every week to check out new messages. God bless you and take care. Amen. Amen. Nothing compares to the promise that we have in Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 If you would, why don't we stand again? We're just going to go ahead and jump right on in to the word this morning. If you would stand with me and open your Bibles to James, the first chapter. The book of James, chapter one. beginning at verse 19, James chapter 1, beginning at verse 19. If you're there, say amen. Amen. I'll get us started, and then you guys go ahead and jump in. We're reading down to verse 25 this morning, verses 19 through 25. This is the word of the Lord. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Go ahead and jump in. Amen. As we enter into a new year, I just want to bring this title to you this morning. Change only comes by the word. Change only comes by the word. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful and thankful to you for your word. You tell us in your word that your word is truth. Would you sanctify us by your truth, O God? You tell us also that your word is profitable for us in every way for challenge and rebuke and encouragement, for training and righteousness so that we might be made mature in Christ. So, Father, we pray that your word would pierce us today, that it would renew our minds, that it would grow us up so that we would be changed for your glory, for the glory of the name of our King and our Savior, Jesus, who is the Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. This this time of the year that we find ourselves in, you know, at, at the end of one year and on the precipice of, of a next is, is usually uh, a very good time in some ways because most people are reflective during this time, reflective about what's transpired in uh, the current and previous year, looking back over the year and 
thinking on all of the good events that have happened, all of the fun times that you've experienced with friends and family members, all of the ways that God has blessed you over the course of the year, um, but also taking note of some of the difficult seasons, some of the, some of the, the hardships that you've experienced, some of the mistakes that have been made, some things that you would like to change uh, moving forward. But the good thing about the, the, this time of reflection at the end of a year is it, it usually for most people, not, not all people, but for most people, it brings a sense of hopefulness for the future. Because this, this, this new year is, is an unknown. It's, it's unlike the, the, the previous year, and, and, and no matter what transpired in this current year, there's, there seems to be a hopefulness about where things will go in this current year, this year that's upcoming. There is a willingness in a lot of ways to embrace change in ways that you otherwise wouldn't have in the past. That, that's one of the good things about times of the year like this is a willingness to embrace change no matter what that change may be. But I think one of the things that we oftentimes fail to do as we take time to be reflective and as we look forward to embracing change is we think of change often in terms of a new job experience that we want to have or we think about health changes that we want to make whether good or bad or we think about the changes that we need to make whether positively or negatively in our relationships and so uh, oftentimes we have change in mind when it comes to our circumstances and my question on the floor for us today is when you look and reflect on your life over this past year and as you plan for change for this upcoming year, what change has happened in your life? What change are you planning for that actually matters? Is, is, is the change that you're thinking of just superficial in nature? Or is there a change that has happened in your soul or that you're planning for that will actually have kingdom impact? I think that's the question that, that's on the floor for us today because there are all types of change that we can have. There are so many things that are worth looking forward to, but my what I want to spend time on today is are we actually concerned about change that matters? The hardest part about change sometimes is we can have issues right in front of our face that we know need to change. And, 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 and while they're before our eyes, they're, they're a big issue. But, but the minute they're no longer before our face, the issue that was once big no longer becomes all that much more important. So for us today, I want us to look at what, 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 what does it look like? What does God's word have to say for, for those of us who really want to change but have had difficulty changing, have had difficulty persevering in change, have had failure after failure when it comes to growing in the knowledge of him, growing in a love for him, being committed to his word? How do we change and what does that change look like? Well, James is writing uh, this book, this to a, a group of, of, of Christians that have been dispersed because of trials and tribulations. They've been experiencing some persecution. And, 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 and as you read this book, he, you'll notice that he's very, very practical in, in his commands or in his, what he's trying to get them uh, to do. And as you read in this book, you'll also see some of the issues that this group of people, these Christians, were experiencing. And, and, and they're not really all that uncommon. If you look 
Throughout the book, you'll notice that he's talking to a group of people that have failed oftentimes to put their faith into practice and have often engaged in, uh, in behavior that would be considered very worldly or indistinct of the world. He's also talking to a group of people that whenever they face trials, they, they have a tendency to respond to these trials in immaturity. I, I know it's quiet in here because you don't identify with either of those. So maybe, maybe you're the type of person that, that he's speaking to that's often cliquish or shows favoritism to people you deem to be more important but don't have time for those that are beneath you. Oh, okay. Maybe that's not you either, but maybe you just got a loose tongue and you like to talk about people behind their back. You like, to, you like to justify your anger by going off on people all the time, cussing every which way. Now, your language when you're around Christian folk is one way, but when ain't nobody around, maybe that's not you, but you're just kind of confrontational. You know how we say on social media, hashtag petty. Maybe, maybe that's you, but as you read this book, you see this group of people that are experiencing all of these, what you would consider to be non-loving, non-Christian behaviors, and yet they're still believers. And James here is addressing them, and he wants them to, to change some things in their lives, and, 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 and what he writes is very, very practical. His, his letter is one of the most, if not the most practical book in the Bible because he wants them to have some actionable steps that they can take to change. That brings me to my first point this morning. Change happens. Genuine, long-lasting, God-glorifying change happens when you receive the word. Change happens when you receive the word. Look with me at verse 19. He says, my, my dear brothers and sisters, understand this or take note of this. Be keenly aware of this. Everyone, everyone, man, woman, child, everyone, that word everyone in the Greek means everyone. Everyone should be quick to listen. Everyone should be quick to listen. Everyone should be slow to speak and everyone should be slow to anger for human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. I'm going to say it again because we're not quick to listen or slow to speak or slow to anger. And, and for the third time in your hearing, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to Anger, I, I'm, I hope I'm getting a little bit better at this, but oftentimes I'm not so quick to listen because in all honesty, if we have conflict, I can confess right here. My wife knows that I'm not lying in the slightest, but if there's a conflict, oftentimes I'm not quick to listen because I already know that I'm right. There, there's, there's no sense in wasting my time or yours to allow you to argue when I already know that I'm right. And, and, and so instead of being quick to listen, I am quick to formulate my response. And because I'm so quick to formulate my response, it makes me very quick to speak. And because you're not listening to how right I am while I'm speaking, it makes me quick 
to anger. I, I know that's not anybody else in here, but it's, it's just me. But, but here he gives them some very practical information. He said, my brothers and sisters, one of the very first things that I want you to understand is that if you want to diffuse conflict and experience better interpersonal relationships, one with another, you got to be quick to listen. That means going beneath the surface. That means that you're not just listening to the words, but you're trying to hear the heart. Quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger. That's why Proverbs 15.1 says that, 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 that a harsh word turns away wrath, but a soft word. No, no I'm, I'm sorry. I got that wrong. I mean, see, y'all going to try to use that in your next argument, too, just because I, no, 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 don't, don't do that. Let's, 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 let's rewind. Let's rewind. It says, it says a, a soft word turns away wrath. See, some of y'all were quick to listen and you caught me. Amen, somebody. A soft word turns away wrath, but a harsh word does what? It stirs up anger. There, there, there is much we can learn just by being quick to listen. Patient to listen. Giving the benefit of the doubt to listen. Not assuming intent to listen and slow to anger and, and, and slow to speech. He says, he says, he says, for, for, for this human anger, this, this anger that's produced by an unwillingness to listen, this human anger that's produced by a quickness to speech and to get unnecessarily angry, he said, this, this human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. It does not produce behavior that pleases God. It does not produce behavior that is what God desires for you to live. He says, but, but the, your, your type of anger, the typical type of anger that we associate with, is not the type of behavior that God desires for us. Now, I know some of you are God-fearing folks, and you read your Bible quite often, so I know what you have in mind. You're going to say, but Pastor Kurt, what about Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26? Be angry, but sin not. I have an excuse to be angry, because when I'm angry, I typically don't sin. I would go over to 1 John and say that you're a liar, and the truth's not in you. I'm, I'm I'm going, to, I'm going to be honest with you. The majority of the time when we're angry, it's not a righteous indignation that comes from God. And, 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 and the fact that we are quick to jump there to pull that scripture shows that we haven't been quick to listen, but quick to speak. It says that there's a human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. He goes down in verse 21. And he says, he says, therefore, in, in light of what I've just said, he says, rid yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. He says, rid, rid yourselves. That means to, to take off or to, to, to get rid of. It, 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 it has with it the idea of removing clothing, to, to take off clothing. It, this, this idea involves both restraint and renunciation. It, it has with it the idea of restraint and renunciation. That, that, that means... Or, or if we go over into Ephesians chapter 4, again, Paul writes that, that as a believer, we have to practice in the art of continuing to take off the old man. Yeah. 
and that we have to be renewed in our minds by putting on the new man. This is not an event-based one-time ordeal. This is a continued happening in the life of the believer where every time you roll out of bed and open your eyes and you get up in the morning and it's below zero outside and you've got an attitude before you even make it to work with those people that you already don't like, you need to practice the art of putting off the old man and putting on the new man. It, 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 it means that there is a complete change in your life pattern of behavior. The things that you used to do, you no longer do. It, it's restraint and renunciation. It means that not only do you denounce your former ways of behavior and acknowledge that those ways are contrary to the will of God and what he desires for your life, renunciation, but it also means restraint, that you have to practice not engaging again in that behavior. Now, 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 now stay with me. This restraint is not a one-time event because I know oftentimes we like the triumphalistic ideology that says that that because we said no to sin one time we have now had a successful time of growth in God that we no longer struggle anymore there and even though we continue to struggle in that area of sin we always point back to that one time where we said no here, this idea of restraint means a continuing, ongoing effort of behavior of saying no and creating distance between yourself and that behavior. Restraint and renunciation. He says, he says therefore, rid yourselves of all this moral filth or all filthiness. This term often means a wax buildup in the ear. It it. it, it it, it refers to unholy living, which impairs a believer's ability to hear the word of God. Also can refer to, to, to being dirty. Again, referring to that idea of clothing. And here he's saying that, that there, is, there are behaviors that you engage in as a Christian. Again, he's talking to Christians here. There are behaviors from your old man that you have not renounced or restrained yourself from that have made it difficult for you to hear God's word and respond to it in obedience. He says, rid yourself of these things, this moral filth and this evil that is so prevalent, and then humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. It's this accept or receive the word, this implanted word, he's not talking to unbelievers, but to believers where he's encouraging them to allow God's word to influence them in every aspect of their lives. He wants to focus on a more basic issue than the adopting of a new code of behavior. He's not telling them, listen, get rid of this, new, this old behavior and do this new behavior. He's trying to go a little bit below the surface. And he says, he says, I want to influence the thing that informs the behavior, not just the behavior itself. Because I can sit here and try to get you to change your behavior, but if there's nothing below the behavior that informs the behavior, then you'll always go back. 
So he says, I want to deal with your understanding and your ability to hear God's word and obey God's word, not just the behavior itself. So he says, believer, you've got to remove some things from your life that are making it difficult for you to really hear God and obey him. And then you have to actually obey God by believing his word by faith and putting it into practice. Which brings me to my, my, my next point. How do you identify one who has actually received the word? Well, I'm glad you asked. Change not only happens when you receive the word, but change happens when you remember the word. Change happens when you receive the word. But change happens when you remember the word. He says in verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. When he says not mirror hearers only this word was used in greek literature for people who uh would show up and listen to lectures but never join he says he says that in order for you to live a righteous life that is pleasing to god a, a, an indication and a sign that you have received the implanted word of god and that it has influenced your thinking and your behavior it will be shown by whether or not you are merely a hearer of the word or a doer of the word. Hearers of the word deceive themselves, James says. That verb, that verb deceive yourselves, is only used here and in Colossians chapter 2 where Paul says, I am saying this so that no one will deceive you with persuasive arguments deception comes from thinking in this text for the hearers deception comes from thinking that simply listening to the word is all that is actually necessary for your growth see the the, the hearer shows up and says in order for me to fulfill my commitment as a christian in order for me to grow all i have to do is show up and listen and for me that's that's enough. And the Bible says when you've done that, when you've gotten to the place where you show up on Sunday morning and you receive good music and you receive a good word week after week and you leave and in between Saturday uh, and Monday to Saturday, there has been no life change whatsoever. James says you have deceived yourself. You, you have convinced yourself with an argument that sounds somewhat reasonable that you are actually living the way God intended for you to live because you've got good attendance and because you showed up and you actually serve in a ministry and you do all of these things that you have on your record of what it means to be a Christian, but there has been absolutely nothing in your life that has changed. Be doers of the word and... Not hearers only deceiving yourselves. He says, because if anybody is, if anybody's a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like someone who is looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, he goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. Says he says he looks at himself, he goes away, and immediately forget what type of person he was. He looks at himself. Then he goes away and immediately forgets what type of person he is. We, we, we got to see the, the mirror here is symbolic for God's word. And, and, and what happens is when you get your face before God's word, God's word acts as a reflector showing you what you're really like. 
and showing you what God is really like. So the word of God shows you all of your flaws, but it also shows you all of God's promises. The person who merely hears the word and doesn't do the word looks in God's word, is convicted of all their flaws and what they're really like, steps outside of God's words and immediately forgets all that God's word just told them about who they are and what they're supposed to live like. A hearer of the word and not a doer of the word. Jesus himself taught this at the end of a sermon on the mount. He says, he says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now, there were many people around listening to Jesus. And so he had to make sure that there was a distinction between those who just merely heard Jesus and those who actually did what he said. That's why he says that the wise person is the person who not just hears his words, but puts them into practice. For he looks at himself in a mirror, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person that he is. The key failure then of the person who is a hearer only is forgetting. That they could have the audacity to read God's word. This word who came from this God who created all things, who was from the beginning and will forever exist. The, the fact that you could read his word and get in there and see all of the beauty and the glory and the power that is in it and step away and forget all that God has done and all that God has said says much about us. The key failure is Forgetting, we touch here on a pervasive and important biblical thing. The Lord constantly warned the people of Israel not to forget his mighty acts on their behalf, but to remember his mercies and his law. Israel, when I want you to remember that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the house of Egypt, out of the land of bondage. And I want you to remember that while we, you were 40 years in the wilderness, I made sure you had food to eat and, and shoes on your feet and that your clothes never wore down. I want you to remember, Israel, that I'm giving you my law so that you can know what type of God I am and who you're supposed to be because of who I am. I want you, when you go into this new land, Israel, to forget all of that mess you saw in Egypt and forget all of the stuff you're going to see in Canaan. When you get in this land, don't don't forget how good I was to you. When you get in this land, don't forget who brought you here. When you get in this land, don't forget who's going to sustain you while you're still here. But for some odd reason, before they even got into the land, even though God had reached through time and eternity and did mighty acts of mercy towards them for all to see, the Bible says that there was a generation of people that raised up that did not know the Lord because they forgot they forgot his word and they forgot his character and they forgot his promises. To remember God, his acts and his teaching is to contemplate them in such a way that they make a lasting impression on the heart and mind. It means that the, the person who forgets what he has seen in God's word is one who reads or listens superficially, not imprinting the message on the soul. If I can be honest, this morning, I think one of the great tragedies for the Christian today is we have a problem of superficially entering in to reading God's word. The, the reason why so many of us are struggling in our Christian walks is because we open our Bibles and we read out of duty out of diligence just to say that it's done when we encounter hard passages, we skip over them. 
We don't sit and soak in them and try to wrestle with God for understanding. We have this superficial mentality. We want everything just to encourage us. We don't want to have to work hard in God's word. And so we forget. Brings me to my last point. This morning it says, not only does change happen when we receive the word, not only does change happen when we remember the word, but change happens. Long lasting, genuine, God glorifying change happens when we persevere in the word. Change happens when we persevere in the word. Verse 25 says, but the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it. That, that phrase to look intently means to stoop down in order to have a good look or to closely examine. It, it, it means that when you enter into God's word, when you get into God's word, it means that you have to take some time. It, it, it means that you may have to move some things out of the way so that you can see clearly. It means that it's going to cost you some things. To look intently means that you actually have to stop what you're doing and not just give it a glance, but go down and investigate. He's trying to teach us. He says, if you really want change to happen in your life, you really want to mature in your relationship with God, you really want to mature in your understanding of who God is, that means as a Christian, you can't just skim God's word. You got to stop. You got to slow down. You got to get on your hands and knees. You got to move things out the way. And you got to investigate and spend time there slowly so that you actually know what's going on he says to look in to look intently at God's word he says and then persevere in it this 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 idea of perseverance assumes difficulty now now I I I, I know many of us we don't wake up in the morning saying man Lord I, I just can't wait to persevere today this just seems like a great day to have to get up and persevere. I'm so ready for it. You know why? Because perseverance assumes that something is going to go wrong. Something is not going to go according to plan and you're going to have to fight through anyway. How come we don't approach God's word that way? How come we don't look into God's word with an intent to have to persevere through the difficulty of not just reading God's word, but understanding his word and not just reading and understanding his word, but actually applying it to our lives. James here is trying to communicate to us, brothers and sisters, that hearing God's word, applying it to our lives and living it out is difficult. And for the one that wants to do it well. You can't do it well unless you persevere. Now, now it's, I, 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 like, um, I like Nike commercials. Not, not for any particular reason other than when I watch them, I don't feel like they lie to me. Most commercials you watch, I feel like they over-exaggerate things. Like they're lying to me just because they want to sell me on something. When I watch Nike commercials, I don't get that vibe. You know, and the reason I don't is because whenever I watch a Nike commercial, I see all of these people. Now, now they are physically fit and can do exercises that I know when I'm watching them I can't do, that most of us can't do. But, but as I'm watching them, I see a consistent theme. I see people that are sweating because they're working hard and they're laboring 
And, and something about that, even though they're showing all of these pictures of people running and jumping and lifting weights and sweating and, and getting frustrated and taking deep breaths, something about that encourages me. And it makes me feel like I can do that too. Why? Because what they're trying to communicate is the hard work is worth it. But they always end their commercial with their famous tagline, you just got to do it. There, there is no cookie cutter way to getting in shape. There's no cookie cutter way or no shortcuts to reaching your goals. Sometimes you just got to get up and do it. And that's how we got to be with God's word. You got to just get into God's word and you just got to do it. You have to know that it's going to be difficult. You have to know that it's going to be hard. You're going to, you have to know that there are going to be plenty of things that you don't fully understand. But you can't skimp out and feel like that there are shortcuts to maturity in the Christian walk. That there are, there are shortcuts to intimacy with God. You've got to get some sweat on your brow. You've got to take some deep breaths. You've got to be tired. You've got to be exhausted. You've got to get up and get in his word when you don't feel like it. Sometimes as the believer, when we get into God's word, we have to have the mentality of just get up and do it. I think, I think one of the biggest problems of why so many of us are middling in our Christian walk is because we're so focused on persevering through our circumstances that we haven't even first spent time persevering through the word. It says, but the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. There, there, there is this idea here where God blesses God-inspired effort. God blesses God-inspired effort. For, 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 for the believer, that, that means that, that by faith, you open his word and you try to understand as best you can through study and through asking questions and through humility what God's word is saying. And then you, by faith, apply it to your life through obedience, trusting that God through the spirit will give you the strength to obey him in all things. And by faith, you believe that God will grow you up by your continued God given effort of reading his word and trying to apply that word by faith and obedience. And guess what happens when you don't quit? God breathes on it. See, see, the, the reason so many of you haven't experienced a breakthrough yet is because you've quit before you got there. See, that per perseverance means not just one time. Perseverance may not mean just two times. I, I don't know how long you're going to have to persevere in whatever you're in, Christian. Everybody in here is in different stages and circumstances. You, you may have to persevere till tonight, but you also may have to persevere till next year. But I don't care how long your persevering takes, you better not quit. And you better not give up because as long as you trust in God, and you keep rolling out of bed and believing his word 
and trying to apply his word to your life, I can guarantee you this, that no matter what you're going through, God will bless your efforts. James here is not, he's not trying to fool us with immense words here. I think he's very clear in this text. If you want to experience change, real, life-giving change that produces obedience to God, then, then you've got to receive his word. You've got to remember his word. And if all else fails, you've got to persevere in it. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we are thankful and grateful to you, Lord, for your word. We're thankful that in your word we can find instruction, we can find encouragement, we can, we can read things like be doers of the word and not hearers only so that we might experience just the, the beauty of intimacy through obedience that comes when we follow you. So, Father, I, I pray that this new year, that this new year would be such an awesome experience of knowing you more, of loving you more, being more and more committed to your ways. That, that by the end of the year, when we lift our heads and open our eyes, we would be able to say unequivocally that we were closer to you than we've ever been before in our lives because we persevered in your word to apply it knowing that the implanted word that's been given to us by you is able to save our souls. Father, we believe this word from you today by faith. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to today's message. I hope that it was a blessing to you and it was aiding in your life to help you to show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. If this message has been a blessing to you, we want you to consider partnering with us in ministry so that we can maximize what God has called us to do locally, nationally, and internationally. You can go to epiphanyfellowship.org, go under give and consider donating. Thank you. Take care. See you next week.